Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week six, it was uh, it was a little weirder than anticipated, but certainly no shortage of fun here. Uh, how are you? Did you enjoy it? Four weird games. We tried to tell you it would get weird. Yeah, this got about as weird as it possibly could have with only four games on the slate um, and, and multiple games with their own brand of weirdness. So we're going to jump in and recap those here. But first off, off the top here. What was the biggest thing that you learned about the ACC in week six? Virginia Tech is still capable of winning a football game, Joey. I doubt it. Okay. <laughs> well, they did everything they could not to lose it, right? Yes, they did. Yeah, they Sorta. did. Sorta. Um, Sorta. Yeah, Virginia Tech got in the win column as a 14-point underdog, just as we all knew they would. Cover. That's a, oh, that's a cover. Like, win that on the field. Um, yep. Yeah, Virginia Tech can still win a football game. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. Uh, Mike, the thing that I learned this weekend about the ACC? Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster is right, Mike. You and I combined for the weekend perfect on our spread picks. We were a perfect 8-0 and against the spread. Everything was correct. I hope everybody was picking with us for this one week instead of fading us for this one week. You know, that would have made you some money. It's, Money, money. Uh, yeah, Spray so that cash, baby. Strong, strong weekend on picks for us. We were uh, pretty dialed in. I think we missed a couple of games outright, but certainly against the spread, we were dialed in here. So uh, that's a good feeling here for mid-year. Uh, Mike, let's jump in here. We got four games once again. Uh, we said this was the intermission of the weekend, um, but you know we, we've got a lot to unpack here. Let's start with your Hokies. Virginia Tech, 42. Cam's Miami Hurricanes, 35. We we did not bring Cam on to help recap this, but we would like to get him on soon because we really need to check in on the Hurricanes, who are now down at 2-3 and three and 0-2 oh in conference. Um, Mike, this game was about as wild as you could have ever drawn it up. Uh, Miami turns the ball over four times to start the game. They had run 13 plays on offense, uh, and they had turned the ball over four times. They changed from Jaron Williams to Nikosi Perry at quarterback. Hey, remember him? He's a starter. He's, yeah, he, yeah, it might be. I don't know. This might be a quarterback controversy again. Uh, Virginia Tech had a quarterback change of their own. Ryan Willis announced that he would not be starting the game after we recorded our preview. Of course, it was Hendon Hooker. Um, he took Virginia Tech out to a 28 nothing lead, again, pretty immediately. Um, ultimately, Miami throws a Hail Mary right before halftime. It connects because, of course, it does. Uh, 28-7 is the, the Hokies' lead at halftime. Virginia Tech has scored 28 points, by my notes, Mike, on drives of 48, 23, 20, and 80 yards, meaning they had, they had a 21-0 lead and they had not even accomplished 100 yards of offense, so that's a thing. Um, 
Miami with a pretty ridiculous comeback in the second half. They make it 35-29. They convert a two-point conversion uh, to make it a six-point game, which I guess the math works out on that. If you're going to have to go for two, you might as well go for it the first time, and maybe you get it, maybe you don't either way. Um, Miami then scores another touchdown, ties the game. Bubba Baxa is going to hit the extra point like he always does, except he didn't. Whoops. Whoops. Uh, That's the whole thing. Um, Virginia Tech scores. Miami gets the ball back. They try to score. They uh, they end up, I guess, uh, the, the time just runs out. Except sort of. Yeah, sort of. It it did, and then it didn't. But ESPN was already on the other game and not interested in showing you know what was going on here. So all to say, Mike, this game was about as bonkers and just completely off the rails as it ever possibly could have been. I I don't know what on earth got into these teams, but. This is a wild, fun game. Virginia Tech ends up coming out with a win. They get on the board in conference play. And once again, Miami already 2-3 and three on the season, three losses in a year where a lot of people really thought that that was about where they would bottom out. Yeah, shout-out to Miami. They put on a clinic on how to give the first-time starter for Virginia Tech breathing room. Oh, also, how to get him comfortable on the road in his first start. Oh, also, he didn't really have to work that hard, and Virginia Tech was up 28 to nothing. So, uh, shout-out Manny Diaz for making it very easy on a conference opponent that really isn't all that good. Um, Virginia Tech, like you mentioned, 21 first first quarter points, seven more in the second. Uh, Miami scores a touchdown on a Hail Mary to end the first half, because of course they did. Um, Then Miami in the second half, they score seven points in the third quarter to cut it to... 28 to 14. Uh, Nicosi Perry threw a brutal interception that Virginia Tech actually ran back inside the Miami 10 that really would have put the game away. It would have been something like 35 to 14 or 42 to 14 at that point. Uh, that got called back for a roughing the passer call that was one of the softest I've ever seen in my life. Um, Nicosi Perry essentially got breathed on and they called roughing the passer so that's neither here nor there anyway Miami has 48 plays to Virginia Tech's 24 in the second half Virginia Tech scored on two short touchdown drives had five three and outs their defense was on the field essentially the entire second half gave up over 300 yards of offense in the second half Virginia Tech did so they really struggled defensively because they were on the field so much that was one of the many reasons why they were out of position on a lot of plays as well um, Nicosi Perry actually looked pretty good in relief of Jaron Williams, who threw those three first quarter interceptions. Uh, they went with Nicosi Perry coming out of halftime. He led them back. Brevin Jordan had a huge game for Miami. He had seven catches for 136 yards and a touchdown. He was essentially unguardable, which has been a problem for a lot of teams Miami has faced this year. Um, Brevin Jordan's been very good throughout the entirety of the season. He's been the most consistent player on Miami's offense, I would argue. Uh, he's a guy who continues to make big-time plays for the Hurricanes. Problem is, they don't have a quarterback who can get him the ball, at least consistently, or Manny Diaz just doesn't know who to put in a quarterback, slash who's going to block for said quarterback, slash who's going to run the football. Miami's got a plethora of issues, as we found out in this football game. Jaron Williams came into this game without throwing an interception. He threw three in the first quarter. Uh, Cam Underwood had mentioned on social media multiple times that while Jaron Williams still had not thrown an interception yet this year, he had forced a lot of balls into coverage that he was fortunate had not been picked off yet. Um, That's obviously an issue that Miami uh, was going to have to approach at some point and have to face. And, you know, you saw it in this game. They 
you know, jumped right in and started turning the ball over early. And when you give a semi-competent team hope uh, at some point, this is what ends up happening. Um, Virginia Tech entered the game tied for 128th in the country in turnover margin. They were minus eight in the turnover margin on the season. They were plus five in this game, Joey, and that's how you shoot right back up the rankings. Um, Virginia Tech holds on. Like you mentioned, it was a wild second half. Uh, Miami, you know, goes for two. They cut it to six. They scored again with about three minutes to play. Uh, missed the extra point. Bubba Baxa, one of the best kickers in the conference, misses the extra point, so that was a little bit weird. Um, added to the complicated finish of this football game. Hendon Hooker makes a couple big-time plays on the ensuing drive to lead Virginia Tech down the field to score and take the lead. Uh, Miami was driving again. Virginia Tech, what I didn't really understand is they played prevent defense that entire drive. They were rushing only three, dropping the rest into coverage and letting Miami just march right up the field. So that was pretty frustrating to watch. Uh, Thought that they knocked down the ball as time expired. Turned out there was one second left on the clock. ESPN cut over to the Georgia-Tennessee game, which was phenomenal. Uh, really happy that that happened when they were trying to figure out if there was a second left on the clock. Um, ESPN ended up breaking back into the game and then showing that final play that was uh, knocked down. Uh, it was to, shown. To it was shown as like a highlight. Game. It was so weird. It wasn't even live, like you mentioned. Like it was a highlight. It was a replay of it. Um, anyway, forty-two thirty-five. Virginia Tech has their first conference win, and Miami is all of a sudden one of the worst teams in the coastal. I don't know what we're doing here this is weird it's a weird division i don't know who wants to win it maybe it's virginia i don't know you have no idea how badly i would have loved loved to be in that espn production truck as they're trying to scramble and figure out what the hell to do like you've already switched over to the georgia tennessee game that's gotten started and now you've got another game that you just showed that's actually not over and you're trying to figure out how to show what's going to happen and what has happened they got to be so thankful that that <laughs> That, that last pass was not completed. That game didn't go to overtime, and you have to figure out how to put that back on. Real quick, too, there was, like, the, on that Hail Mary right before halftime, there was a clip that started circulating on social media that Tech fans were still freaking out about. Um, Mark Jones and Dusty Dvorak were high-fiving after the Hail Mary, and now Virginia Tech fans have this conspiracy theory that, oh, they must be, the announcers must be closet Miami fans. So that's what we're dealing with this week instead of celebrating the win, which is kind of annoying. Well, you can't have fans of a team calling games for that team because that, that's worth at least three to four points on the scoreboard there, Mike. So Right, right. Yeah, it, it definitely uh, translates to on-field product from what I understand. Yeah, so. that's, that's concerning. So I, I see what the Hokies fans are upset about there. Um, only the thing on this game, Mike, is, is a little bit of – from a referendum standpoint on Virginia Tech, what we've talked about, and we've talked about how their offense especially has struggled. There's a quarterback change here. We're going to try something different. You could say, oh, we scored 42 points. That seems like things really worked a lot better and, and things were moving better with Hendon Hooker, you know, instead of Ryan Willis. But I, I feel like that's maybe a little bit oversimplifying things. Like I think the run game worked a little bit better with Hooker because Hooker's a better runner than Willis is. But there continues to be this overwhelming need to run the ball, which Mike brings us back to our Virginia Tech run-pass balance report. 20 pass attempts, 43 rushing attempts. It's continuing to run the ball more than twice as much as they throw it. Once again, as a team that is better at passing the ball and has a pretty ridiculously wildly talented receiving core that they yep. continue to try not to use, which is just beyond me. Yep. Um, Hendon Hooker ends up 10 for 20 for 184, three touchdowns, over nine yards an attempt. Those 43 carries 
for this team go for 153, which is less than four yards per carry. Three touchdowns. Um, yep. Hendon Hooker was the leading rusher in this game. He was. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get they're it. Running, they're running a lot of um, halfback dive right up the middle, run into the back ass of the center instead of the front ass, the back <laughs> ass of the center. <laughs> so, those are two different things. Uh, it's a little late. Um, runs right at the center's ass and then falls down for like a yard or two, and they were getting really good at running that play in the second half, which tends to lead to three and outs, it turns out. Um, if So... I've talked about this a million times, but if Brad Cornelson wants to continue to run this offense where he's got like a running quarterback and he's running spread run option concepts, Hendon Hooker's got to be the quarterback. And I mentioned that to you multiple times. If they were going to play to the strengths of the team at receiver, then Ryan Willis had to be the guy. Um, and they were going to open it up and throw it more because Ryan Willis is the most talented passer on the roster. Seems like they were trying to run the spread option out of shotgun with Ryan Willis mixing a quarterback in that didn't fit the scheme and then not playing to the talent of the receivers on the outside, which leads to that run pass balance report, which is a disaster for Virginia tech. Um, I think the, I mean, obviously Hennon hooker is going to continue to be the starter. He missed on some wide open throws in this game, which hopefully he hits moving forward. But like I mentioned, Joey Hendon hooker is not the most accurate passer in the world. And we saw that on Saturday. I've been trying to tell Virginia tech fans that for a while, like there's a reason why, he hadn't been starting up to this point. It's because he's not that accurate of a passer. Um, and you saw that on Saturday, missing on some wide-open throws, guys who were like five yards behind the Miami defense. He just missed them. Hopefully he starts to hit on those moving forward. He did make some pretty accurate throws down the stretch that ended up being crucial, leading to the victory on that final scoring drive. So that was good to see. But there's going to be some bumps in the road throwing the football for Hendon Hooker. Agreed. Um, one other thing I do want to mention, knowing and recognizing that Miami – threw the ball way more than they ran it. Of course, you're in a game where you found yourself down by four touchdowns before halftime, so naturally you're throwing the ball more than you're running it. But when they did choose to run it, the running line, the rushing line did not look good at all. Miami had a hell of a time trying to run the ball in this game. You, you can even if, you know, let's take out Nikosi Perry's stat line. He was sacked seven times. Even doing that, DJ Dallas had one run right up the gut of the Hokies defense um, to tie the game that went for 62 yards. Other than that, 13 carries, 48 yards, less than four yards per carry. Oh yeah. Not good. Like not getting any sort of real consistency out of the run game. Um, what was Miami? So that's, that continues to be a bit of a, a sticking point. And of course we know Miami's got their offensive line issues. They're still working through. So that's a continued Testament to that. Uh, Mike, that's all I got in this game. Anything else before we move on? Uh, Virginia tech had a bunch of sacks in this game too. Cause... Seven of them. Yep. Yeah, because Miami's offensive line can't block anything. Mm -hmm. So, like traffic cones might be an upgrade. Potentially, um, <laughs> this offensive line is approaching Florida State territory, and you do not want to approach Florida State territory on the offensive line. That's extra insulting to Miami. Oh yeah, and it's <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, it's not really that big of a stretch at this point to see them in the same light, which is really unfortunate for the Hurricanes. Man. Imagine Miami-Florida State being the cover-your-eyes game of the week because neither offense can do a damn thing as neither offensive line can block. You can set the over-under at, like, 20. Yikes. Virginia Tech 42, Miami 35. Let's move on, Mike, to another just absolutely completely off-the-wall bonkers game. I, I don't have a lot of in-depth analysis here, um, but we, there's a couple things we need to talk about. Pittsburgh 33, Duke 30. Mike, this game featured... 
37 possessions combined between these two teams. That is not a mistake. I did not miscount that. 37 combined possessions for these two teams. 10 combined turnovers for these teams. Pitt was penalized 15 times for 145 yards. They had a 26-3 20, yeah. to three lead that they blew, and then they won the game anyways. I, I mean, there was just so much that went on here. I, I'll talk about it here in a minute, but I'll let you get some stuff in first. I don't know if you saw this two-point conversion sequence that Duke had, like in the I did summer in the second quarter. Like, oh my gosh, I I did. It was completely off the wall. I've never seen anything like it. You, tell me what you thought about this game, and we'll talk about that. Okay, um, this game was a total mess, and we told you it would be. Uh, this is one of those games that was going to be the most entertaining of the weekend, and then there were like three others that were very entertaining. Um, not in a good way either, by the way. <laughs> Not in a good way. Uh, Kenny Pickett, welcome back. Uh, he threw two atrocious interceptions in this game. Like, really bad interceptions. Um, 268 yards passing, complete about half his passes. It's neither here nor there. Uh, that Pittsburgh running game we were commending a week ago mm-hmm. um, for finally starting to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty or I'm sorry, 35 carries, Joey. Mm-hmm. 69 yards. Now, nice. that includes... You know, include some sacks. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> but not the good kind of nice, the bad kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Kenny Pickett. I mean, this this takes into account sacks and kneel downs the whole nine. But anyway, 35 carries, 69 yards. That is two yards a carry. That is not good. Uh, Duke, Quentin Harris. Uh, throwing the football was a hell of an adventure. Mm-hmm. Not the fun kind either. Kind of, not kind of the, the, fun the swiper, kind. no swiping kind. Yep, not the fun kind. Um, I have a Pittsburgh Duke highlight playing in the background of the box score, so that's good. All right, well, now that I shut that off, I can continue my thought. Quentin Harris, 18 of 43, 165 yards, touchdown, and two picks. That is a far cry from a week ago in Blacksburg, Joe. Quentin Harris, and we repeat, threw the ball 43 times, and they got 165 yards out of it. Less than four yards per attempt is abysmal. Uh, 18.3 QBR. Is that good? Not great. Um, yeah, so Duke, to their credit, ran the ball a little bit better, except they didn't. (laughs) 44 carries, 123 yards, and three touchdowns. Congratulations on the three touchdowns, but they averaged 2.8 yards per carry. Technically better than Pitt, but not by much. Uh, that, this was the typical hand the ball off, run right into the backs of your offensive linemen, and... Not much else is going on offensively. Uh, you mentioned the 10 turnovers in this game. Both quarterbacks threw two interceptions each. Uh, Pittsburgh did a really good job fumbling the football, so that was awesome to see. They lost a couple fumbles. Uh, Duke lost three of them on their own. Quentin Harris, by the way, five turnovers by himself. This was shades of Bryce Perkins against Notre Dame, except Pittsburgh's defense is good, but not Notre Dame's. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, total disaster. Then there was the two-point conversion that wasn't, and then we can dive into that if you'd like, because that was the whole thing. I mean, let's let's just put it this way. Duke closes the gap from 26-3 to 26-24 because of they had a touchdown drive that went one play, four yards, off of a pit-dropped punt. Next possession, Pitt comes out, fumbles immediately. Duke goes nine plays, 43 yards. Next drive, pit interception, Duke goes seven plays, 25 yards, touchdown. 
So they scored three touchdowns on a combined, like, 70 yards of offense because of Pitt turnovers. Uh, keep in mind, Pitt turned the ball over four times in this game, and that gave them a plus-two turnover margin, if that tells you anything here. Uh, Duke was not not sharp, not good on offense. Okay, this 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 sequence, I guess we'll say, um, I, I'm going to read what I wrote to you at 10.30 p.m. on Saturday as I was trying to describe this. Yep. Okay, Duke scores a touchdown to make it 26-24, nearly completing a ridiculous-slash-stupid turnover-fueled comeback from a 26-3 deficit. Duke goes for two. Quentin Harris, play action on a little jet sweep action, keeps it, goes up the middle, doesn't get it. Then, on a second effort, he does get it. Get a little extra push from the line, uh, gets in the end zone. Game's tied. But it's not. Um, if you go back and look at the replay, there's a, there's a lot of confusion here because one of the officials ran in from the pylon, waving his arm, saying "No good, no good, no good," like it was a field goal or whatever. Then, about halfway to the pile, he raises his arms up over his head and says, "Yeah, it's good." And also, there was never a whistle or anything. And basically, this turns into a giant mess of the referees trying to figure out is it good or is it not. And what they end up deciding is. I don't know. We got to retry. So they just replay it. They had the uh, they had special teams out getting ready to do the ensuing kickoff. I mean, I have never seen anything remotely like that, Mike. That is the like one of the most bizarre things. Is basically, you had to replay a two point conversion, which then, by the way, Duke definitively did not get it the second time. You had to replay it because the referees don't have their shit together. Is the long and short of it? Like, what is that? Yeah. The refs didn't know what was going on in this sequence in particular. Oh, and, you know, like, if you're going to at least make the wrong call or the right call, whatever, at least be decisive, and they couldn't even do that. Yeah, just own it. Yep. Like, at least, you know, I've seen some pretty atrocious calls in my time, but at the very least, the referee just owned it. He didn't, you know, I I umpired T-ball in high school, Mike, and, like, when (laughs) T-ball parents, if you change your call, you're going to get torn up, right? Like, it's that simple. This is like officiating games 101. It was one of the strangest hashtag go ACC moments I have ever seen in my entire life with the officiating. Mm-hmm. And this was on the heels of the Virginia Tech game I watched. Yeah. So this was like, what are we doing here today? A hundred percent. Like, this is my Saturday. And yeah, that's, there were a lot of other ACC games going on in the background that we were watching that were also a disaster. And it just kind of went with the Saturday basically i mean this was just a very very strange day and this call kind of this call or non-call depending on who you're rooting for kind of epitomizes the entire thing um it ended up being ah what the hell we'll just retry the two-point conversion and you know what to be honest with you i'm not even sure the officials knew that that was the right decision to make it just never really seemed like they were all that decisive all that convinced uh no parts of that sequence were good but it was go ACC in its entirety and all its glory. This felt like some weird messed up version of the, uh, the Buffalo wild wings button of like, let's take it to overtime. Let's, let's just like make it super weird. Um, only other thing I wanted to bring up on this game, Mike, and, and I think it's, it's time that we say, and, and we've talked a lot of trash about Pittsburgh's defense in recent years and how Pat Narduzzi coming in known as this great defensive mind, his defenses have gotten worse and worse year over year. All, you know, the whole time he's been at Pittsburgh, Time to retire that, huh? Yeah, we got it. We can't say that any, anymore, at least not for a little bit. Uh, Pitt's defense, legit good. Uh, 
you sent me, or I sent you a tweet I saw earlier today, Alex Kirshner over the Banner Society, put this together. Pitt finally officially has a Pat Narduzzi defense trademark in 2019. They are 11th nationally in yards per play, 15th in SP+, 9th in sack rate, 6th in completion percentage allowed, 10th in yards per throw allowed, 11th in opposing, passing, opposing passer rating, and 106th in pass plays allowed longer than 30 yards because deep safeties are for cowards. Hat tip, Alex Kirshner. Um, the long and short of it here, Pitt's defense is finally kind of made in the image that I think Pat Narduzzi always intended it to be, and it is really good. Problem is, the offense isn't very good. It's not. If it were, it's I not. mean, Pitt would probably, you know, if they hadn't already lost to Virginia, they might be the favorites in the Coastal, but alas. I would agree. I would agree, but they didn't really show up in the opener. Um, also, another weird stat, shout out Lauren Brownlow, our friend, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Pat Narduzzi is now 5-0 and against David Cutcliffe, but he never beat Larry Fedora. Man, so that's a thought. How weird is that? Yeah, that is a thought. David Cutcliffe is like a really, really good coach. Larry Fedora was like a really good coach for a year and a half. And uh, Pat Narduzzi couldn't seem to get over the hump with him. And then he finds a way to consistently beat one of the best coaches in the conference, mm-hmm. which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, Joey. Yeah. I'll leave you with this. Duke's first 13 offensive drives of this game produced three points, five turnovers, four three and outs. And Duke ultimately finishes the game with about three and a quarter yards per play. That's a hell of a showing by a pit defense. Even though they gave up 30 points, like, that's not – 30 points is not indicative of how good they were in this game. So, good on you, Pitt defense. Uh, Pittsburgh 33, Duke 30. Uh, bonkers game number three of the weekend, Mike. Louisville-Boston College turned into a Big 12 game here. This was a shootout. Uh, Louisville 41, Boston College 39. Uh, this game also completely went off the rails pretty quickly – Louisville planning on playing their backup quarterback anyways, but both starting quarterbacks, Anthony Brown and Malik Cunningham, go down in this game. So it turns into a battle of backup quarterbacks that still somehow results in over 1,200 yards of offense and 80 points, Mike. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's pretty metal. Um, This game was wild. Uh, Dennis Grossell comes in for Boston College. He goes 9 of 24 for 111, three touchdowns and a pick. So okay then yeah not not necessarily efficient in in certain ways but very efficient in other ways um, nine completions for three touchdowns that's not bad um, Louisville looked like I don't I feel like I've never seen Louisville look like this before it, like the way that they were just slinging the ball down the field you had three receivers go for over a hundred yards uh, Seth Dawkins six catches for 170 yards. Tutu Atwell, eight catches for 110. Des Fitzpatrick, five catches for 108. I mean, this it was like they found the hole in the Boston College defense. And I say the hole like there's only one, but right. the hole in the Boston College defense. This game was absolutely wild, totally bizarre, super fun to watch. Um, there was just no defense to be found on either side of this. A.J. Dillon, the D-train, 22 carries for 118 yards. That's fine. It's kind of a you know, workman's effort, but not anything that's like really taken over the game. I don't know this. I don't know what to make of this game. Like this was super wild. It was super wild. Um, AJ Dillon averaging 5.4 yards per carry, which I mean, not bad. Now the receiving core, let's talk about the receiving core for Louisville and Boston college for a minute. 
Boston College averaged over 20 yards per catch as a team in this game with four touchdowns, Joey. And you're thinking, man, Louisville, they can't do much better. Louisville averaged almost 19 yards per catch with two touchdowns, had 428 yards receiving on 23 catches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Seth Dawkins. Uh, you know, we talk about the dudes with Boston College. Let's talk about the dude, Seth Dawkins. Mm-hmm. Six catches, 170 yards, and a touchdown. 28.3 yards per reception. He had a 77-yard touchdown catch in this game as well, Joey. Uh, 2-2 Atwell, eight catches for 110. Des Fitzpatrick, five for 108 and a touchdown. That was a majority of the yards. Uh, Boston College, a little bit more spread out. Hunter Long, three catches, 99 yards, a touchdown. Uh, Kobe White, who you expect to do most of the damage, only had three catches for 38 yards, but he did have a touchdown in this game. Weird, weird game. Javion Hawkins for Louisville, the running back, 25 carries, 172 yards and a touchdown, average almost seven yards per carry. I was going to say, you know, he, met- he might have actually been the, the MVP of this game for Louisville. He was gashing Boston College's defense. Gashing him, and you know what, Joey? We both said that this game could go under. I forget what the over-under was in this game. I don't know if you have that handy in front of you. But uh, I'll look it up real quick. Yeah, but I guarantee you it wasn't 80. Uh, I think it was <laughs> like went- 60 or something. It hit 80, um, so if it was 60, it cleared it by about three touchdowns, which goes to show how weird this game actually was. Uh, um, 60 and a half. 60 and a half. Oh, okay, perfect. Uh, cleared by 19 and a half points. Yeah. This was a very, very weird game. Boston College now 3-3, three and three, dropped to 1-2 in conference play. Defense looks the worst I've ever seen it under uh, Steve Adazio. By far the worst I've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh Scott Satterfield now sitting at three and two. We mentioned how tough Louisville's schedule was this year. The fact that they've gotten to three and two this far through the schedule is an accomplishment. Joey, there's an outside chance they could make bowl eligibility. I don't hate that that concept. I mean, it's it's doable, and I don't want to get into schedules down the stretch too much. At least with Louisville, but certainly with Boston College. Boston College now going into a bye week. They're at three and three. So they need to split, you know, they need to win another three games down the stretch here to make bowl eligibility. Six games remaining, NC State at Clemson, at Syracuse, Florida State at home, at Notre Dame, at Pittsburgh. So Yeah, that's much, t- much tougher than Louisville's schedule. You've got four um, road games and several teams that are probably pretty definitively better than you. Uh, Boston College might not be making a bowl game here, Mike. Yeah, I mean... It's a tougher schedule than what we're going to see out of Louisville here down the stretch. Louisville's got to go on the road four times still. They got at, you know, they're home against Clemson, home against UVA. They go on the road to Wake this weekend, which we'll, you know, we'll preview coming up here later this week. But, you know, Clemson and UVA, you know, you don't expect Louisville to beat Clemson. You don't necessarily expect them to beat UVA. But at Miami, certainly winnable. At NC State, certainly winnable. Home against Syracuse looks much more winnable than it did at the beginning of the year. And, at Kentucky looks pretty winnable as well with how Kentucky's looked mm-hmm. this year so far. So uh, Louisville is one of those teams, Joey, where we weren't necessarily all that keen on them making bowl eligibility, but you get through the first weekend in October and you have three wins. And when we previewed their season, we said that Louisville kind of had to have three wins at this point if they really wanted to make this a realistic thing. And, you know, that's before we saw what Syracuse has looked and, um, what what they've looked like and what NC State's looked like. And there are a few teams who don't look as good as we expected, but Louisville is looking better than expected here as we enter the second weekend in October. So this is a realistic opportunity for Scott Satterfield to make a bowl game in year one, which would be sorcery with, uh, even though he had talent, 
replacing all the all the staff and the culture issues they had. His starting quarterback's been hurt. I mean, it would be sorcery if he gets into bowl eligibility, but it's definitely on the table. If if Louisville's bowl eligible, I'm not sure who you're picking over Scott Satterfield for ACC Coach of the Year. I agree, and I mean, like like we mentioned, like Jawan Pass hasn't been healthy. Yeah, like Malik Cunningham certainly talented, but throw a thrower of the football like you want Jawan Pass in there, and he has not been healthy for a majority of the season so far. The fact you've gotten to three and two at this point, and you had to rotate your third string quarterback in to beat Boston College, and you got the job done. It's a big deal. This was a huge, huge win for Louisville there on Saturday. This is amazing. Um, by the way, one other note I have down here that I feel like it bears mentioning, again, with how bizarre this game was. Um, Boston College scores a touchdown to make it 28-20 to with about 30 seconds to go till halftime. They snap the ball for the extra point. Grissel, Dennis Grissel, our, our now backup but in-the-game quarterback, is the holder. He drops the snap. He picks it up, rolls to his right, throws it into the end zone, caught for a touchdown or uh, for a two-point conversion. Yeah, so now you've got a two-point conversion from a drop snap on an extra point. Um, that was just, the you know, again, the cherry on top of how weird this game was. But in any case, Louisville 41, Boston College 39. Huge win for Louisville. Tough loss for Boston College here. Might be a little bit indicative of the trajectories of both programs. Uh, last one, Mike. North Carolina 38, Georgia Tech 22. This was about the only game that like really made sense this weekend. Um, I thought Georgia Tech's defense kind of gave a pretty good effort in the first half. You know, they ultimately, I mean, they they forced a three and out. They forced a field goal. They forced you know another punt on I think six possessions. Right. I mean, so they did pretty well. They held up pretty well against a, a North Carolina de- offense that has shown itself pretty well. North Carolina did not come out flat in the way that you might expect them to have after, you know, what happened last week against Clemson. Um, but again, they lead 17-0 at the half because Georgia Tech just absolutely cannot sustain drives on offense. Um, Georgia Tech scores a touchdown on their second drive after halftime, which Mike broke a streak of 17 straight offensive possessions that were scoreless um, going back to the very end of the Citadel game. Not great. Yeah. They got shut out on offense last week against Temple, and now they spent an entire half getting shut out by North Carolina. So that's great. Um, Georgia Tech does end up scoring three touchdowns in this game. James Graham was the starter, and he kind of seemed to settle in there after halftime. Although, at the same time, I mentioned that Georgia Tech did not sustain drives. Their longest drive on the game was seven plays, Mike. Their three touchdown drives were five plays, 78 yards, Five plays, 73 yards. Five plays, 68 yards. So it was just live and die by the big play on offense, which I don't know how sustainable that is, especially when they were playing from behind. And you figure North Carolina is starting to let off the gas just a little bit on, the, on defense. So I don't know. I felt like there was some progress. I thought there was good signs for Georgia Tech here. And, and I thought James Graham, you know, recovered fairly well from a couple of rough moments. But overall, I thought he was pretty good. Jordan Mason was good again for Georgia Tech. But Story for the day probably has to be Sam Howell, 33 of 51 for 376, four scores. I mean, he had North Carolina's offense just consistently moving down the field. Um, I think I, I saw not only was not only was North Carolina, let me pull up the number here, they were 11 for 19 on third down. Not only that, they were better than 50, 50% on third and eight or more. Oh, yeah. Like, that. That'll play. Third and long was like automatic for them. Um, they end up with just short of 600 yards of offense. So, you know, Georgia Tech's defense ultimately just tired down, and that was why they, they just really could not keep up with North Carolina in the second half. But 
you know, this is kind of what we expected. North Carolina avoids the letdown, and Georgia Tech continues to try to find itself and try to find any level of consistency on offense. Um, there were some pretty rough moments there. If you want to go look through my Twitter history, I've got a couple things I pointed out there about kind of exactly what was going on, and it's it's almost mind-blowing how it's even possible, put it that way. Yeah, Georgia Tech's defense came into the game playing pretty well. Um, they got gashed, especially against the run. Javante Williams, 20 carries for 144 and a touchdown. Averaged over seven yards per carry. That won't play. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Sam Howell, man. I just continue to be impressed by him. Mm-hmm. I mean, a freshman who, you know, it's one thing to do it against the Georgia Tech defense. It's another thing to do it against the other teams that he's faced this year. You know, he goes into the Clemson game last week and plays pretty well. He follows it up with another strong performance here against Georgia Tech. He's just been he's been very good, and he's been very consistent as a true freshman, which, you know, he's a guy who came in with a bunch of hype for North Carolina in the preseason. You know, everybody talked about, you know, if Mac Brown's going to do this, he's going to build from ground zero. He may as well just go with Sam Howell, a guy who's a highly touted quarterback recruit. And Howell's been really good all year long. My only other takeaway from this game, Joey, is Georgia Tech's offense is so bad. Mm-hmm. Like, lacking we, – we talk about lacking an offensive identity with a lot of these ACC teams, primarily in the Coastal, right? Like, Miami can't really run the ball. Virginia Tech is trying to run, like, two different offenses at once. Um, then we get to Georgia Tech, and it's like – Everything you've ever complained about with every other team in the Coastal is all combined into one, and that's the Georgia Tech offense this year, unfortunately. And it's just kind of what Jeff Collins has inherited, right? Like, he's got guys who don't necessarily fit what he wants to do on offense, so he's trying to make broken pieces fit into this puzzle, and he's running an offense that doesn't work with any of the players that are currently on the roster. Like, they don't really have a quarterback that can throw it down the field with any sort of consistency. They're not necessarily running it all that well. The offensive line looks overwhelmed at times. The play calling is questionable. Jeff Collins refuses to play like th- this is one of the first times I've ever seen Jeff Collins just play one quarterback consistently. Mm-hmm. Like first time all year really he's done that, yeah. which is I guess a a nice change of pace. I sorta like <laughs> And as I mentioned, they found I, some rhythm in the second half. How about that? Yeah, imagine like not rotating a bunch of guys in and having the same players play like multiple plays together (laughs) like having them on the field at the same time for like more than three snaps a game and not having like 30 guys rotating in on offense it's amazing what you can find from a consistency standpoint when that happens um yeah I mean for look the defense has looked better than I expected it to for Jeff Collins in year one you know he's a defensive guy I thought the defense would be okay in year one it's actually looked better than I've expected for much of the year especially with how bad the offense has been but dude Joey I can't give him a pass for how bad this offense has been like I get it with the personnel like not fitting the scheme but this is like I mean mind-boggling how bad it is like you can't get anything more out of this offense and what they've gotten so far it's crazy to me like yeah I've been really really underwhelmed with the offense but the defense has been better than expected for most of the season to be honest with you with mm-hmm. especially with how bad this offense has been so I I don't know I mean it's been uneven year one for Jeff Collins I you know I think overall it'll be fine but this has been this has been rocky yeah the coaches have spent a lot of time in emphasizing the idea that like we don't fit our players to our scheme. We fit our scheme to our players. You know, we, we want to do what they do well. And 
I mean, I don't know that necessarily the game plan seemed to back up that concept from what we've seen. Uh, this was probably about the most cohesive that this offense has looked since the Clemson game, we'll say. So at least there's that. There is progress. Um, there were some you know bright spots. I thought Adonica Sanders had a couple of really nice plays. Malachi Carter, uh, Marion Brown. You know, those are guys that, as much as people like to you know look at Paul Johnson and think, oh, the, you know, he didn't bring any good wide receivers. You know, who are, you know who are these guys? How are they ever going to get to the NFL? It's like there are there is talent in this receiving core if you know how to use it. Um, and, and you know, again, I thought Adonica Sanders had at least a couple of really nice plays in this game. Um, yeah, I mean, just it's it's to me it's it's a game planning issue, Mike. It's that like there's the play calling aspect, but it's also it doesn't seem like whatever they're really trying to do is in any way, shape, or form related to what they're good at. And it's it's this the same concept that I brought up I think last week on either the recap or the preview. I don't remember. I think it was the preview. Um, and and I think it you know with the audio quality, which we apologize for last week, that was a whole thing. Um, I, I'm not convinced that these coaches are really, really trying to win games right now. Like, I don't think that that is their number one and only motivation. If you really think about it, like, it just doesn't make sense with some of the stuff that they're doing. And, I, you know, think of that what you will. I, I think it's kind of garbage. I think you probably could win some games with this roster. And what better way to show that you could fit your scheme to your players than to do whatever they're the best at and not just have your thing that you're trying to do? I don't know, like what Scott Satterfield's doing, yeah. for example. Like, yeah, it works. It turns out, like, I mean, it's possible. Yeah, you go between quarterbacks when one gets injured and the other one has a totally different skill set, and you run kind of a different offense. Like, imagine Duke running the triple option with Quentin Harris. How about that? Virginia Tech running like, uh, never mind. Yeah, let's not go there. Let's not go there. Um, yeah, this uh, this to me. Either way, and we talked about this in the preseason, like getting to a bowl game was going to be quite a fight. And, and it, I mean, we didn't really think Georgia Tech was going to be particularly good. I felt like I was being a little bit wishful, saying they were probably going to go like 5-7. and seven. But this has looked a lot worse than I really thought it would. Um, and, and it doesn't help that there's been some offensive line injuries. But, again, there's just some signs here to me that I don't know that they're really trying all that hard to win games as much as they are maybe to get some reps or – something i don't really know maybe put some film on on you know something on film for recruits or something i don't know this is a mess i'm not i'm not really thrilled with it and it's it's starting to become a thing of like it's hard to just spend time watching these games you know it's like you kind of know what you're going to get and it's just not going to be uh really all that competitive or interesting in a lot of ways yeah i think this kind of started going downhill offensively before the season started like we we didn't really know what the offense was going to be and Jeff Collins wouldn't really tell anybody what it was going to look like. That's because he still doesn't know what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's still trying to figure that out. Um, does a release a depth chart, says, does the above-the-line stuff where he's like, oh, anybody, any any one of these like 80 players on my roster could play next Saturday. Uh, they lose to the Citadel, which, I, you know, you're going to have bad losses in year one when you got all this stuff going on. But with how the defense is playing, I agree. It's pretty disappointing that they haven't put more of a winning product on the field offensively because I feel like you score a couple more points, and this is a season that's looking more like Louisville's and, you know, mm-hmm. less like, you know, Troy, like 
before Neil Brown or something. Yeah. Like, this is this is pretty I mean, this is pretty bad. It's it's gotten to a pretty dire point on the offensive side of the football. And to say that this was their most consistent game of the year offensively, like you're right. You're hundred percent correct with that statement. But it still wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And that's like one of those things as a Georgia Tech fan especially, it has to be disheartening when you see the offense just struggle to put drives together, but then you leave the game saying, Man, this is the best they've looked all year. It's it really goes to show where they're at on that side of the football right now. Put it this way, and this is, this is the last thing I'll say before we move on. Georgia Tech coming off of a coaching tenure where Paul Johnson was in charge for 11 years. Of those 11 years, I would bet at least eight or nine of them, they averaged upwards of 30 points a game. Georgia Tech right now against FBS competition is averaging like 13 points a game. Yeah, that's not going to do it. Barf. Absolute barf. Um, not good. So, in any case... North Carolina 38, Georgia Tech 22. You want to give it a couple of words, Mike? Let's do it. So I'm going to call an audible on this. We said that we had three go ACC moments of the week. We, we, I mean, there's just too much to to ignore any of these. But I think one of these needs to shift over and be our you tried award. And so let's do that one first. Um, we, we referenced this earlier. Miami pulls the game within, uh, within about a score. It's uh, 35-27. They decide to go for two. They get it against Virginia Tech. It's now a six-point game. Miami's in position, man. They are ready. They're going to be able to take the lead on their next score. They've got the momentum. Virginia Tech's defense is running out of steam. Miami's offense is just rolling at this point. They get down. They score a touchdown, kicking the extra point. Bubba Baxa, all-ACC kicker candidate. I mean, he's he's the man. He's, he's the best they've got. Mikey shanked it. He's not only the best they've got, he's one of the best the conference has got. Mm-hmm. And he shanked it. Yeah, so good on you, Miami. You tried to use some kind of clever uh, coaching tactics and decision-making to try to give yourself the best chance to win. It almost worked, and it didn't. So good on you. Um, the BVG Memorial, you tried award. Uh, good on you, Miami. You, you won that one this hey, week. Hey, real quick, though, mm-hmm. shout-out to Manny Diaz, right? He pulls the trigger on his quarterback mm-hmm. early in this game. He'd he'd rode with Jaron Williams all year long, pulls the trigger, says Nikosi Perry gives us the best chance to win in this game. Mm-hmm. And that's not a hard – that's not an easy decision to make even when he throws three picks. Nope. To take that – take the reins away from your freshman quarterback who's played well for most of the year and say, you know what, nope, Nikosi, you're in. And they come storming back, and for him to go for two and make that hard decision on that first drive, it ended up working out. Um, the stats played in his favor again, like not an easy thing to face the media. If you don't make that two point conversion, because you could have extended the game longer ends up backfiring and not working out. But I think the coaching decisions leading up to it were plausible. And I, I thought he did overall. And, and I don't know how Miami fans will take this, but I think overall he did a pretty good job putting Miami back in position to win the football game after they fell behind early. So anyway, I, I completely sorry. agree. That's, that's, yep. You know, as good as we've seen from Manny Diaz in terms of a game management move so far. Um, a, yeah, like you said, changing quarterbacks, and then B, going for two when when the numbers say you're supposed to. Um, whether or not it's going to make for easy questions in the postgame press conference or not if you don't get it. So, yeah, total credit to Manny Diaz there. Uh, two go-ACC moments of the week, Mike. Um, we mentioned this before. Duke gets two-point conversion, except they didn't. But they did, but they didn't. The referees decide... I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. We got to do this again. So go ACC to Duke having to retry a two point conversion because of referee incompetence. And then I have to mention too, I mean, Miami, Virginia tech, that game ending, except it didn't. 
except ESPN already switched over to Georgia, Tennessee. And then Miami runs another play, which, by the way, was from like the eight yard line, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, Winnable play. Yeah. They needed eight yards to, to score a touchdown and have a chance to tie and or win the game. And ESPN's already on to this other thing. Um, so go ACC to that as well. That's that's a whole thing. Um, double go ACC moments of the week this week. Love it. Gotta love it. What a mess. Um, ACC player of the week, Mike. Um, my thought here, Louisville running back, JV and Hawkins. Yep, I'm with it. My gosh, he was good. Um, and it's again in a, in a game where his t- his two quarterbacks combined to throw for 428 yards and two scores. Uh, Hawkins was really the guy I think that kind of stirred the drink, so to speak. Um, he was gashing Boston College's defense regularly and, and kind of helping to open up that passing game to a certain degree. Um, 25 carries for again 172 yards and a score. Huge day for him. That that looks like a ball player of a running back. Louisville's got. Yeah, he's big time, and I mean, he was a big reason why Louisville ended up winning this football game. He was able to bleed the clock. He was able to gash him for big first downs, like you mentioned. He was averaging a ton of yards per carry. He was really, really good. Uh, big, big reason why Louisville won this football game. Absolutely, for sure. And then lastly, Mike, team of the week can only be one team, right? The Virginia Tech Hokies. I was going to say Georgia Tech ending their scoring drought, but no, yeah, you're correct. Uh, Probably Virginia Tech beating Miami. Damn. <laughs> yeah, the Hokies come away with a huge win. Again, they were about two touchdown underdogs, and they win the game on the field. Um, they don't draw pictures on the scorecard, Mike. They do not draw <laughs> pictures on the scorecard. That is correct. Thank God we worked that in. I almost forgot. They don't draw pictures on the scorecard. So it, whether or not this is a replicable win is out of the discussion. Virginia Tech won the game, and they got in the win column. It wasn't pretty, but it worked. Yeah. That applies to a lot of things in life. Specifically this podcast, you could say. That's correct. <laughs> For example. Uh, oh, no. Mike, that's all I got in week six. Anything else? I don't think so. On to week seven. There are some interesting games coming up here in week seven that I'm pretty excited to preview. There sure today. are, with interesting spreads and kind of spread over an interesting set of games. Uh, days here we got a thursday game we got a friday game we got virginia tech playing their second fcs game of the year we got all sorts of things so um this would be an an interesting preview that we're going to come back here and do here in the next couple days uh it'd be a shame if virginia tech lost (laughs) i mean in a way but in another way it wouldn't really matter because they already got the one fcs win that counts Now they now they only need six wins for ball eligibility. That's right. That's good because they probably can't win seven. And nobody else can remember <laughs> that they need seven. <laughs> that also correct. Not even some of the beat writers. It turns out I, I saw some <laughs> tweets circulating around. It's like, oh yeah, they actually have to win seven games. So it's taken everybody by surprise this year. Also, like remember that North Carolina Wake Forest game? That's a non-conference game for those keeping score at home. Mm-hmm. So when you're calculating. Uh, you know, conference wins and losses and where Coastal and Atlantic teams stand here moving forward. Remember, that's a non-conference game. Just want to keep reminding people of that. College football is the greatest sport on earth, and I will not hear anything else. This is I agree. the weirdest, strangest game in so many ways, and I love it. Uh, oh, yeah. Mike, we're going to get out of here. We're going to come back and preview week seven. In the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BBC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. 
Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, and most importantly, Mike, they can find us on the Anchor app. Please go do this. Uh, find us there. <laughs> do us there. Find us there. Rate, review, all those things. You know, I don't know. Uh, Mike, you want to tell me they can find us on social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of your podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do. Um, Mike, I think that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? On to week seven, buddy. On to week seven. Should be fun. Yeah, we're going to come back and preview those games like we said. Um, But we will talk then. And until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. (laughs) 